The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. It wasn't 1963, but it did feature a 6-3. We round up the bumper Boxing Day action in the Premier League. From Arsenal's young uns enjoying Odegaard, like they just got a link set from their aunt, to Man City's Leicester City stuffing, to Spurs Palace, all the reviews saying skip, like Mrs Brown's Boy's Christmas special. Plus, we look ahead to the midweek action in the Premier League and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right then, December 27th, listener. So glad we got that Christmas thing out of the way. You can get back to the real business of opinionating on football matches, some of which have been played, others not so much. Daniel Story's here with us today. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Good morning to you. Tom Williams also present. Good morning, James. Season's greetings. Oh, yeah. Very nice of you, Tom. Thank you. And also to Lindsay Hooper. Good morning. Hope you've all had a lovely Christmas. Well, that's so sweet of you. You join us from the in-laws today, Lindsay. <laughs> I do. I yep. do. I'm in the spare room. All right, then. Hidden away. I think you're in your spare room, though, aren't you, James? Uh, I don't like to think it's spare. It's the place where I do these podcasts. <laughs> so for me, it's very much the, the beating heart of my <laughs> so-called life. Anyway, joining us from the spare room is an experience, uh, Lindsay, that will resonate probably with loads of listeners. Perhaps you, listener are in someone's spare room even now, in which case, good luck to you. Good luck to you, Lindsay, talking walls today. Mm. Um, that's going to be a stretch, but I have faith. Uh, Daniel, meantime, you're about to head off to AFCON. Yes, uh, it felt like about five things needed to drop into place for that to happen maybe a fortnight ago, and I think at least two or three of those things have dropped into place. So, mm. yeah, I've got the advantage of only going out for the, the quarterfinals, semis and final, which means I can kind of see if it gets cancelled halfway through the tournament before I was just about to say it's definitely happening then yeah I mean yes it it is definitely happening my big suspicion and fear is that fairly high profile players suddenly come down with injuries and or Covid that stops them journeying to Africa for the tournament but we'll see all right you're one of that select band of people who are happy it's going ahead Daniel yeah I I am I really am Uh, I think in Europe I understand why because of this kind of dominating mania of of elite club football but this is their European championships which is a really obvious thing to say but if you remember how happy and excited and joyous we all were at England's progress in that competition it seems a bit a bit rum to then say well yeah but this one's just a a fly in our ointment Mm, yeah absolutely absolutely anyway uh, let's have a little bit of a discussion about what ointment there's been to put flies in over the past 24 hours, Boxing Day saw six matches, uh, one still to come on Monday before the midweek round begins. Saints uh, won 3-2 at West Ham. That's the Hammers' fourth defeat in the last five. Spurs made short work of Crystal Palace 3-0, while Arsenal equaled their biggest ever Premier League away winning margin 5-0 at Carrow Road. Man City and Leicester combined for the highest scoring Boxing Day game in Premier League history, 6-3. Uh, Lukaku's return saw Chelsea beat Aston Villa 3-1 and Brighton beat Brentford 2-0. There you go. Ooh, highest scoring Boxing Day game in Premier League history. Let's hear about that. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Ports! Oh, they needed that. A nerve settler from Amaric Laporte. 
Man City 6, Leicester City 3, and Lindsay Hooper, you were there. I know. I felt like I got the golden ticket, a proper Boxing Day feast for me um, and for many others that were there. It was everything. It was everything that you could possibly imagine. I've not seen anything like this in a game of football. At 4-0 at half time, James, I was thinking this is going to be a 9-0 again. And for once, Leicester will be on the receiving end. Mm. Um, and then they came out after the break. Brendan Rodgers shifted to that back five, uh, made a substitute as well, bringing Castagna on. And there was this spell where in 10 minutes they scored three goals, all counter-attacking, beautifully worked goals as well. And the away end was singing, we're going to win 5-4. And there was part of me thinking, I believe them <laughs> at that point. Um, however, I should have seen the bigger picture, which I'm sure from listening to this show, everyone would know when we've spoken in the past as well in recent weeks about Leicester's defence and the way they have an inability to defend corners or set pieces. Mm. And that was the, their undoing ultimately in the end. But 6-3, nine goals, I just I couldn't believe it. Mm. Duncan Alexander pointing out that in this game alone, Leicester scored 25% of all the goals that City have conceded this season, yet they still lost by three goals. R remarkable stuff. Daniel, they, they do this a lot, City, and they've now scored, what, 17 goals in the last three games. They've had nine league victories in a row. Uh, what what new can you tell us about uh, this performance? Well, the, the, the handy thing they've picked up in recent weeks um, is scoring very early um which before this game was a kind of sign that the game's over we're just going to control it from this point on and probably score one maybe even two more goals um i think last season they scored 12 goals in the first 12 or 13 minutes of games and they're already up to 11 this season with only half the season played so that's kind of new thing for them but there is this sort of vague theory that because they're so good that the only thing that can really beat Manchester City this season is Manchester City and in that 10 minute period you kind of saw why in that Guardiola sort of started gesticulating when they conceded one and then got more and more animated as the second and third goals went in and then they decided to start playing again and Leicester stopped defending from set pieces but I do think there's a I think there's a, a, a kind of fair theory in that if City play to their best and concentrate all the time they will win the league um, the one thing I'd say about, about Sunday is that I think having Rodri there just enables them to control the game so much in a way that Fernandinho has been brilliant over the years but the pay, the recovery pace just isn't quite there anymore uh, so Rodri is almost I think probably their most important and influential player and in he just kind of dictates the tempo and calms everyone down a bit when, when they do lack a bit of composure in defence. Yeah, Rodri wasn't in the match day squad and we asked about that before kickoff. The only thing that we were told, the official line from the club, is that he wasn't fully fit. Now, that might be a COVID issue. They didn't say that. It could be. But one of the points that I was going to make is how well Man City have handled the pandemic. I mean, if you look at the way that some of these teams have been decimated and we know the squad depth that City have got already, that is another huge advantage, I think, James, going into the new year and in this title race is that they haven't really lost many players in a period where other teams have lost quite a lot. Indeed, they've actually left out players who were fit because of disciplinary issues. Tom, did you buy Pep doing his sort of cosplaying concern thing when, when Leicester were on their comeback trail? Well, I, th I did actually, because Leicester have had a pretty good record against specifically Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Um, they won 5-2 at the Etihad 
at the beginning of last season when City was still getting themselves together. They've had a few other quite handsome wins. I think Guardiola's first season, Leicester really turned them over at the King Power Stadium. And I think Leicester has set up in a way that, that does cause this City team problems because they are so good on the counter-attack. Generally speaking, in recent seasons, it's been the pace of Jamie Vardy darting in behind. And I think Vardy's probably pretty high up the list of players who, who Guardiola fears coming up against the most. Obviously, he didn't start at the Etihad. But then we saw with with Ademola Lookman and Madison and Kelechi Iheanacho, who's become a little bit the forgotten man at Leicester, despite finishing last season in such great form, that, that even without Jamie Vardy on the pitch, Leicester still do have that, that counter-attacking pace. And I, I thought the, the first two goals in particular, um, with Madison heavily involved, obviously um, uh, involved in the third one as well, but really nicely constructed goals. Um, and I think the, the problem that Leicester have got at the moment is they just don't have a defence. You look at the team that they, they lined up or Brighton, Amati, Vestergaard uh, and Luke Thomas, if all their defenders are fit, none of those players start. Um, so you're obviously going to be up against it, uh, against the team with the kind of firepower that, that Man City boast. But the fact that they were able to score those three goals showed that, that they remain an attacking threat. James Madison is obviously in a really good run of form at the moment. I feel like there's almost a bit of a kind of pitch of Dorian Gray thing going on between James Madison and Jack Grealish. There was definitely a time when we were wondering which of the two was going to become like England's main man. And obviously it, it ended up being Jack Grealish and James Madison had a bit of a forgettable season last season. But now Jack Grealish is on the naughty step and, and, and James Madison is banging goals in from all over the place. So, yeah, a bit of a knockabout, a bit of a knockabout game for Leicester. Um, that vulnerability at set pieces uh, that has haunted them all season, uh, you know, clearly, clearly caused them problems. Um, but a, a few glimmers of hope in an attacking sense, I suppose. If you were if you were looking for for positives, they got they got Liverpool next Leicester, so that'll be another another quiet one. Not the other the other thing to say about City is that the theme of their season until the the seven 0 Leeds win was that they were creating loads of chances and not really taking them. In the last two games, they've scored ten times against Newcastle and Leicester from thirty five shots, which is a really, really impressive rate. So if it, if it turns out that Manchester City are suddenly going to become efficient finishers as well, then the rest of the Premier League really is in trouble because um, they, they've had so many more shots than anyone else. I think 16 is their lowest in a game this season, the shots, which is absolutely nonsense, really. So if, they, yeah, if they're going to start, whether it's using Sterling centrally or whether it's using, against Leicester, almost nobody centrally, just Sterling and Mara's wide and then everyone else just bombs through the middle, then, yeah, everyone else is in a pickle. Sterling afterwards, he, he was speaking to us um, for Premier League and he did say that he thinks there's a psychological advantage now for Manchester City with Liverpool not playing on Boxing Day because it's that six-point gap. I mean, I put pretty much everything to him. The one thing that I didn't say, which I was thinking all the way through the match, because in front of my very eyes, I was thinking, I'm never going to see anything like this again. But there was one thing missing. And I have to say it was the atmosphere. Um, I felt like City was pretty quiet. And it might be that Boxing Day fixture where you get a few more families, which we like to see. But I just felt like at times they really needed a shot of something to get them really going. And then the, the away end was so loud. And, and when they were, were cheering as well, we're going to win 5-4, even that didn't seem to spark City into life for a while. Um, it was only when they scored the third goal um, mm. that, that really something kicked in the crowd. And I think that was the thing that was missing. But we, yeah, we didn't speak about that. Was it full? 
I think there were a few patches. I was looking around. I would be surprised. The the figure that we got was over 53,000. Um, but I was looking around thinking that there were some empty seats. It it wasn't it wasn't really bad. I've seen it worse. Mm. You'll have the city fans on your case now, Lindsay. I know, I know. But uh, you just got to say as you find it. You know, I was there, and I and I go to a lot of matches for different atmospheres, and it just surprised me, given what was happening in the game, that it wasn't mm. louder. Where, where's your favourite atmosphere, Lindsay, in the Premier League? Molyneux. <laughs> right, um, right. I, I do love the atmosphere at Molyneux. I love the atmosphere at Anfield. I do think it's a great atmosphere. Spurs mm. now the way that they've designed that stadium with that big bank you do you do feel the noise um Leicester City actually you know if this was a reverse fixture and they were at the King Power Daniel's not having that Lindsay no I wonder why oh because of the clappers thank you thank you very much (laughs) maybe that's what they need to do give out a few clappers well, yeah. Um, just on the subject of those early goals, Daniel, is it a really remarkable trend that that you mentioned? But is that just kind of luck, or or is there a tactics behind that? I mean, how do you say to your team, well, why don't we get a goal early instead? Because that might work better. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Guardiola generally. Uh, I mean, firstly, the obvious thing to say is they that pretty much every Premier League game they play, they have better players than their opponents, uh, particularly at the moment. Um, but. I think Guardiola has always liked in in potential title winning seasons to get to a place where City can try and relax over the last third of the game. Uh, And therefore, the earlier you score goals, the earlier that chance to relax comes. I mean, that kind of goes against what happened on Sunday. But yes, I I think that's probably it. He likes to have a really early start, overpower an opponent who maybe hasn't quite settled yet Mm. and then look to control the game from that point on. And yeah, they're doing it pretty well at the moment. And I think a lot of that comes from just having such a clear identity. I mean, every time you watch City, they seem to settle so quickly because everyone knows what they're doing two or three minutes in and they're already camped inside the opposition half. Their opponents can't get a touch. Every time that the, you know, the man on the ball looks around, he, he has options around him. And I, yeah, I, I feel like I made this point quite a lot last season, but I think this, this specific iteration of, of Manchester City without uh, a conventional number nine which basically came into being about a year ago. It was actually, was it Boxing Day, I think, last season when, when City sort of settled on this formula after a pretty sticky first half of the season. I think it stands comparison with almost anything that Guardiola's done in his entire coaching career. Just the quality of the football, the fact that City are able to score so many goals without without a number nine. I mean, it is really, really revolutionary. What is it, 17 goals in, in, the, last, in the last three games, mm. albeit against teams with quite leaky defences. Um, and I think when you have a team where that sort of um, positional fluidity is, is so ingrained and the players are so comfortable in that system, it enables you to find your feet very quickly in games. And I think that's probably where a lot of those early goals come from. So if you were to championship manager this City team against, say, the, the, the kind of golden era Pep Barca, you'd have this, you'd want to be doing this City team. That's... No. I would, I would still go for for Pep's Barca, but I think that when you, you know, when you look, when you take a step back and and look at, look at Guardiola's greatest teams, mm. I think the, I think the the tactical ingenuity required in the creation of this team is just very different to anything he's done at any of his previous clubs. They've currently scored fifty goals, City, which is the same as as Liverpool, albeit City having played a game more. Liverpool are playing with one of the best front threes we've, we've seen in recent Premier League history with Mo Salah absolutely walking on water and City are doing it without a conventional number nine. 
Um, and, you know, some of the scorelines are just completely freakish. I, th- I think that's the comparison, isn't it? When you look at City versus Liverpool in this title race, is that, and we'll soon see with AFCON, but you take some of the key players for Liverpool out of the system and there are potential gaps and there are potential opportunities for other teams to to benefit. I think with City, what you have is a team that have found a real rhythm and it doesn't matter who Pep picks in this, in this system. And we saw, as James hinted at as well, a couple of key players um, who were in the bad books, Grealish and Foden, didn't even need them in this in this starting 11 they can just make it work and that's why I think they're on a canter to the title this year and yeah. hopefully we're cancelling all the chat about January and needing <laughs> needing a number nine because they obviously don't eight different goal scorers in this one for instance it's just it's just incredible where the goals are coming from it's all over the pitch um, just as a kind of little statistical thing uh, I think we I don't think you need statistics to prove that City are better now than they were in 2006-7, but they've scored as many home goals in the last 131 minutes at the Etihad as they did in the whole of that season at home, which is, um, yeah, if, if nothing else is proof that Sterling, Silver and De Bruyne are better than Emil Impenza, Samaras and Bernardo Corradi. All right, proof at last. Excellent. Yeah. At last we can put that debate to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of players uh, being omitted from the Man City squad, that looks like that Ferran Torres thing is, is happening. Him and his peoples are in Barcelona uh, to sort out a €55 million Euro, uh, deal plus €10 million Euro add-on. Not sure what 55 the add-on is million, about. £55 million pounds is quite a lot to find down the back of a sofa, isn't it? Well, yes. Is that pretty much double what City paid, nearly? Yeah, they pay, yeah. And Almost they're not exactly, even going to yeah. notice. I mean, any other team, a player like that, and he had been good for them, they'd mm. be like, wow, you know, Remember what do we do with that He was yeah. going to be their false nine. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Remarkable stuff. Next up, they face Brentford, who lost 2-0 at Brighton. Uh, you want to predict a scoreline for that? How big do you think that's going to be, Tom? Uh, I think it could potentially be quite big again, uh, given that um, it's very easy for City to freshen things up. Yeah, Brentford's on, on a particularly good run, obviously they'd, they'd won uh, at Watford just before. Um, I think a couple of a couple of postponements, and then seems to be pretty solidly second best against Brighton. Although they did finish the game quite strongly, uh, but I, yeah, I think that the form that City are in, the depth in their squad, the quality of football they play, uh, I think it, it, it uh, there's a strong chance it's going to be a long night for uh, for the bees. Double figures, you think? I didn't say that, James. Okay, it's the uh, it's the derby of the two sides that play. Hey Jude, when they win. Yes, I yeah. do like Hey Jude. Well, this is I the mean, next game that I'm at. Um, oh, okay. Well, you'll enjoy that then. Yeah, I feel like I'm following City around for Christmas, and that's literally it because I hardly ever usually see them. But um, I think five nil, James. Okay, fair. I mean, it could be anything. It could even be a Brentford win. That's the magic of football. All right, so City with a win. Chelsea, meanwhile, maintaining their distance from the leaders with a victory at Villa. Let's talk about that next. Hello, listeners. And just like that, it's all done. But there's plenty more eating and drinking over the next few days. And we saw Brendan Rodgers and his foxes. They came out the wrong side of a nine-goal thriller at the Etihad on Boxing Day. And one would wonder whether the interest of Rodgers at Old Trafford has cooled somewhat after a run that has seen his Leicester win just four of the 15 games in all competitions since the beach United 4-2 back in October. 
Meanwhile, Jurgen Klopp would have been grinning ear to ear with the news that he got to spend most of the day with his family and his Liverpool players would have fond memories of their trip to East Midlands back in 2019 when they made a massive stride towards lifting the title by winning 4-0 at the King Power. With a quick turnaround for the Wounded Foxes in the pool having enjoyed their feet up, it's no surprise that the Paddy Power traders, who will be stuffed to the gills at this point, listeners, have made the Merseysiders the odds-on favourites to win the match at 4-2-11. The Leicester win is quite a large 6-1 shot, and the draw is 4-1. One man who we have to mention, he's been remarkable of late for the Foxes, and that's James Madison. He has six goals in his last eight no comps. He's a massive 12 to 1 to score the first goal. Too much eggnog for the traders, I think. Fill your boots, Santa. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Yep, Chelsea with a 3-1 victory. Boxing Day away at Aston Villa. Once they'd remembered that they had a £100 million striker sitting on their bench. That was handy. Wasn't it just, yeah. Um, Lukaku spoke after the game to say... He completely understood why why Tuchel had left him on the bench recently, and he he's had an injury and he he's had COVID, so there is there are reasons to to kind of go gently with him. But when you looked at that Chelsea starting team and the, the kind of very obvious lack of goals within it, um, and then you bring on a striker like Lukaku, it's so hard for central defenders. I mean, I, I thought Tyrone Mings was 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 poor for the first goal, but when you've had a team that is not playing with a striker. And then suddenly they bring on, you know, perhaps the most obvious example of a, a number nine or in the Premier League. It's so hard to deal with because you're not used to those runs being made. You're not used to someone driving it with a ball at their feet. And I mean, this was absolutely vintage Lukaku. They, they they do still need to find a way to to get the ball to him more because he he won the game and he only had 18 touches in his 45 minutes. If the more touches you give Lukaku, the better he will play. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, an absolute virtuoso half of him. Maybe Aston Villa and playing Aston Villa is the key to Lukaku's form because when he just arrived back at Chelsea, I remember being at Stamford Bridge um, for the 3-0 victory and he was superb in that game and it, he didn't need many touches. He was finishing. And then here we go. He pops up again, the reverse fixture, this time at Villa Park in scoring form so already three of his goals have come against Villa and Mm. you wonder whether he will kick on now um, into the new year Um, I don't think my tip though at the start of the season of him being top Premier League goal scorer is going to come off (laughs) I think I might be retreating on that one we shall see I mean maybe Tuchel is going to build the side around him from from now on as they go into an interesting run of games Brighton on Wednesday but then Liverpool and Man City absolutely huge matches in terms of uh, Chelsea's title prospects. By the way, that business of him scoring goals against Villa, he's now got nine in ten Premier League appearances against the Villains. He hasn't scored more against any other opponent in the big five European leagues in his career. Woof. Yeah, it felt like quite an important win for Chelsea, who, as we know, have been going through this this sticky patch, those back-to-back draws in the league against Everton uh, and, and against Wolves. And I think going behind... Um, as they did uh, in uh, 
quite fortuitous circumstances with the Reese James own goal against the Villa team who've, who've got their tails up, who are playing with much more energy and in, in, in a much more compact way. Um, I, you know, I, there was there was a, a potential for for Chelsea to come unstuck again here, and I think particularly given the way that they were labouring in the first half without any kind of attacking focal point. So I think the fact they managed to come through that will do them good, particularly with as you say those um, those tricky fixtures to come. I suppose mm. the one the one downside is more injury problems. Angola Conte going off with what sounds like a recurrence of of the problem that had previously kept him out. Thiago Silva going off as well. Um, so. A step forward uh, in in terms of the result and, and the second half performance, but perhaps um, a little step back as well on the injury front. And this was a game, one of the first ones that we heard that Steven Gerrard wasn't going to be in the dugout for Aston Villa, and then came a few more. And if I'm right, I think all of all of the teams that didn't have their manager uh, on the sidelines ended mm. up losing on Boxing Day. Do we think Stevie G gets as involved in the game when he's watching it on TV as he does on the touchline? That's what I found myself thinking watching really? the game. Is it about time we brought, given that managers not being able to attend games is becoming more and more of a thing, a is it time box. we brought in like remote manager cam mm. so you can just see them at the kind of, you know, the West Midlands travel lodge or something yeah. as he sort of hops about his, hops <laughs> about his bedroom? Feels like to me that like they should be made to watch with their family, sort of royal family style. I mean, I would, I would absolutely watch that. I would absolutely watch that. What other cams would you like to have to enhance your appreciation of, of the action going on, you know, within that green rectangle? That's, that's opening a can of worms. But, well, um, yeah, it's open, baby. Remember, player, player cam was a thing for a bit, wasn't it? Everyone got yeah. really excited about player cam and then realised that... You had those that... dreadful fan cam things as well, where you'd have oh, alternate commentary. Yeah. They were Yeah, great. I mean... There are many things to love about the US, but kiss cam is must kiss be cam. the worst thing in the world. Yeah. How about a cam on the actual ball? Brilliant. I think we're all hung over enough at this time of year without <laughs> vomiting in the lounge because right. we're watching ball cam. What about a goalkeeper cam? Just to kind of 90 minutes of kind of... With a Mogwai soundtrack of, of, of basically... Edison just standing there maintaining focus. I'd, wa- I'd watch it. I'd watch time. it if it was Aaron Ramsdale. Okay, I bet Aaron yeah. Ramsdale for ninety minutes is quite entertaining. Mm. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Aaron Ramsdale, let's hear hear what he got up to on Boxing Day in his trip with his friends to Carrow Road. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Joe in Newcastle and Greg in Norwich. How are you feeling, gents? Oh uh, yeah, good. Optimistic, Paddy. Uh, but your team's at the bottom of the table. Why are you so happy? Well, I think I speak for Norwich and Newcastle fans everywhere when I say we really fancy our chances of uh, winning the championship next year. Ah, silver linings, eh? Just like with Paddy Power's Bet Builder, where you get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Paddy Power applies to pre-match online bet builder bets with minimum four legs of at least one to five odds each. Max free bet ten pounds per day excludes enhanced match odds. Season C's apply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Here come Arsenal looking for another. Pepe deflected. Surely Smith-Rowe. It's a five-star showing for Arsenal. Woof. 
Arsenal, 5-0 winners away at Carrow Rose. Now, am I right? That's their joint heaviest margin of victory in a Premier League away game ever, level with 6-1 wins over Burr in 99 Everton in 2009. Who, why, how, Daniel? Well, I, I mean, I, I, in the score column I wrote, I, I picked up Martin Erdegaard, who I think probably because he was on loan before and is now a permanent signing, is quite quite easy to forget how hard that can be sometimes when a player is on loan we saw with Jesse Lingard and Joe Willock is a really good example of this when they're on loan they kind of play with this freedom of I'm out to impress everyone and when that signing then gets made permanent and, and Willock's a good example it, it can all go a little bit flat because there's no there's it, it's both new and yet familiar and opposition managers know what to expect from you in this team even though you're a new signing but Erdegaard has really kicked on in the last few weeks and I think with Martinelli and Saka and to an extent Smith Rowe, you kind of get these sort of mazy dribblers and, and pace in behind. Whereas Erdegaard seems to be the one that just sort of controls the tempo of that and, and sometimes even slows it down when it needs to be a little bit less frenetic. And I think Arteta after game described how he's kind of gliding Arsenal through games at the moment, which I really mm. liked. He's another one with a picture of uh, of Jack Grealish in his attic, by the way. he's He says as many Premier League assists in this match, as Greenish has managed all season, Odegaard, remarkable. Yeah, he just he he, he does just look. He, he looks really good. He looks he looks to have his kind of ability to to combine what all those other Arsenal players do, and I think that sometimes works, especially if you're in the centre. You've got pace out wide, and you've got a dribbler in Smith Rowe, and you've got a finisher in Martinelli, and he seems to have a kind of a little bit of all of them, and he's also young, and that's that that's clearly the theme of this Arsenal team, which is which is on the up. Hmm. Do you want to hear an amazing stat? It's about Emil Smith-Rowe. He is now coming off the bench to score for the fourth game in a row, right? He's now the fourth top scorer in the Premier League. Smith-Rowe. Incredible. And imagine what he could do if he actually started games. But he can't because Odegaard's so good. Is that right? Yeah, well, why? Why can't they both play? Well, I, th- I, th- and this- I, think it's more, I think it's more Martinelli who's taking Smith-Rowe's uh, place yeah. in that when... When Smith Rowe has played with Erdegaard, Smith Rowe has, has played on the left. But both Emil Smith Rowe and Gabriel Martinelli are currently ahead of Pierre Emerick Aubameyang uh, in the pecking order. Um, and another player who I thought it, it was worth mentioning in terms of having come into the team of late and, and helped to redynamise what Arsenal are doing is, is Alexandre Lacazette, who is not as sort of starry a name as, as Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. If, if you were sort of constructing a World Eleven. You'd you'd probably um, uh, you'd probably turn to Aubameyang sooner than than turning to Lacazette, but I think what he brings to this team is really important, both as sort of uh, as a, a slightly older head, but also as as a, a centre forward who's happy to play with his back to goal. When you've got so much pace and youth and exuberance around you, it's really important to have that that player who other players can play off. And I think whereas Arsenal when Aubameyang was in the team, you felt that he needed a platform to be constructed for him on which to go and then perform because basically all he does is cut in from the left and score. Lacazette is, is much more involved in the in the build-up play uh, and I think as a consequence with all these, these young players in the team and, and, and playing in this, in this very sort of bright and, and effervescent way, I think Lacazette is the absolute perfect foil for them all. Um, and he's been another, another key figure in their recent resurgence. 
I noticed on Match of the Day as well that they they put up the graphic of results since Aubameyang was stripped of the captaincy mm. and how impressive they look. I do wonder if it spells the beginning of the end for him. Well, no, he's, he's this year's Ozil, no question. But mm. I did I looked at that graphic as well and couldn't help but notice the teams that those results had come against. And True. Thought, well, I, True. I feel like we've been down this particular trail before, but Arsenal fans... I mean, you you got to love this. You, they even scored their first penalty of the season, which is remarkable. The first time they could successfully converted a, a penalty. Um, Odegaard for Arsenal, but more Odegaard uh, for uh, Norwich, meantime. <laughs> and particularly, poor Angus Gunn. What a time oh. to make your first Premier League start for uh, Norwich. So he ships five goals here. Do you, do you recall his last Premier League appearance? Well, he played for Southampton. Um, he did. Oh, it was so a 9-0, I... wasn't it? I he think it was, yeah. <laughs> I was just about to yeah. say, was it that I did? Miserable. Can you imagine? It took two years to come back from that and this happened. Oh. <laughs> when he was at Southampton, I did interview him um, about his dad and following his in his footsteps and his face right. lit up about Norwich and the fact that one day he might go back there. Um, and then when I saw it was his first Premier League start and I must admit, I did think, oh, bless him. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, better times ahead. Hey, Aaron Ramsdale had some bad times as well, and look at him now. That's true. That's true. I mean, you say better times ahead. Maybe for him, maybe not for Norwich. I mean, uh, that kind of bump they got, well, actually in Daniel Farker's last game and then in after Dean Smith took over has very much gone. They've lost four games in a row without scoring a goal. Um, and, yeah, I mean... <laughs> While you could see Newcastle improving enough in January to spark some sort of, at least an attempt at a, a revival, I don't think the same is true of Norwich. I don't think they've got the money to, to throw at it and I don't think they've got the the want to throw money at it. Um, and, you know, Smith was appointed, I, I'm sure, with one eye on next season in mind, but it's quite a long time from November to May if you if you start losing all your games, as, as Daniel Farker found. And, yeah, mm. you, do, you do kind of wonder whether Smith... Because he he took that job so quickly after the Villa job, I think it was the like a Premier League record for the, the shortest time between two jobs um, from a manager sacked. And I do wonder if he maybe could have just, you know, when he when he was doing well at Villa, Dean Smith for a while was the favourite to be next England manager, which is maybe says more about England's options than anything else. But I do wonder whether he just jumped into that a little bit too quickly. Mm, the honeymoon is over. A honeymoon in Norwich. Yeah. Uh, behind Arsenal, meantime, in the top four race, you've got Spurs, who are six points back, but they have three games in hand. West Ham are seven points behind. They've played one game less than Arsenal. Man United, meanwhile, are fully eight points behind the Gunners, but they've also, like Spurs, played three games less. Uh, that's, of course, including Monday night's trip to Newcastle. Uh, games in hand, though, I, may, I mentally think, oh, well, and I think a lot of people do go, oh, there's potentially that's nine points there with the three games. But it actually means also a much more congested calendar. So at a time which is proving really difficult for clubs, you, you're going to have Less than ideal. All it means is that basically Arsenal being able to play their games at a more regular pace so far and these guys are going to have them all jammed in in one place, which doesn't sound that positive, actually. But Arsenal Wolves is off now, so they've got one that they've got to reschedule too. Yeah. A bird in the hand, James, is worth two in the bush or whatever that saying actually is. That's precisely it, yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, absolutely. Do you uh, do you not use that often, Tom? Is that one that's? <laughs> I don't think grown? I've ever used it before. It's like when you oh. when you say a word for the first time that you've only ever seen yes. written down, and then halfway through right. saying it, you think to yourself, "Am I doing this right?" Hence mm. my hesitancy. Should have said it with more uh, assertiveness. I remember a, a, a podcast friend of ours who I was doing a pod with, who I won't name, saying the word "segway" for the first time, uh, and he pronounced and he it "seeg." I think. Because segways are very, conf- I mean, segway as in a segway in a conversation rather than, you know, one right. of those sort of uh, you don't see uh, those transportation anymore, do you? devices. You don't see them right. so much anymore. No, no. <laughs> Been usurped right, by the, uh, the e-scooter, perhaps. Yeah, they weren't big on the, on the Christmas list. Mm, and actually, to be honest, e-scooters are an absolute menace. So I say bring back the, bring back the segways, team segway. All is forgiven. Right, well, they, they were also quite, quite menacing. Not least for the guy who designed them, famously. Well, indeed, yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, right. Uh, I was trying to Sieg, using the word Sieg, into Spurs Crystal Palace, uh, which has p- happened three o'clock on, on Sunday afternoon. And it looked like Palace might make this one a tricky, tricky one for the home side, but then kind of everything happened at once and very much in Spurs' favour. Lucas Moura setting up Harry Kane for a lovely finish. Uh, and then a scoring, a scoring a quite magnificent header for the second, after which uh, uh, Wilfred Taha gets a, a red card. Remarkable stuff. Yeah, everything in about, as you say, in about six or seven minutes. I mean, the, the, the Saha sending off was, was absolutely brainless. I, I think he was really unlucky to get the first yellow, but having got the first yellow, it, was, it seemed pretty obvious that Tottenham had been told by Antonio Conte to, to get under his skin and try and wind him up and that's exactly what they did and just a stupid reaction to get himself sent off but I I, I really like watching Oliver Skip I've not seen that much of him um, uh, since he since Conte's been there at Tottenham but he just he absolutely ran that midfield he does exactly the same way we said about Erdegaard it kind of has a bit of every player around him skips the same he, he's got that kind of defensive stability of Hoberg but he doesn't just pass it sideways and backwards and you know he really tries to progress the ball up the pitch and yet does it with a, 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 a real energy that sometimes Tango and Dombele lacks and I think Conte would like to see more of an Ndombele so when Conte came in, he was really keen to stress, you know, this is a meritocracy now. No one is guaranteed places. It's what you show me. And I think probably more than any other player, skippers, maybe him and Eric Dyer have, have proven to Conte that they can be kind of staples in this team. And up front, Daniel, as well, this is the first time in a long time that I can remember that, you know, all three were at it, weren't they? Maura, Kane, Son, they were all at it. And it's been threatening to be this way for a while and you, under Conte didn't doubt for a second that he would get them back to this point but it has taken a bit longer than I think Spurs fans even even they would care to admit um but yeah I, I think this could be a, a 2022 for Spurs to kick on lovely I mean Lucas Moura though possibly not your man of the match but that goal that header I'm slightly confused as to why it's not a foul given that he absolutely destroys uh, Joachim Anderson on his way to connecting with the ball but it was just magnificent to see it's a wonderful goal, and and it's it's Joachim Anderson's own fault for not even attempting mm. to head the ball. He's just sort of cowering beneath it, this towering slab of Scandinavian centre back, 
as little uh, Lucas Moura flings himself into the air and like a proper centre forwards header. And what was nice about it about it as well was that was that Lucas was involved in the in the construction of the the move as well mm. on the halfway line with a classic Lucas Moura dribbler. I think he's one of the best dribblers in the world and and has been his entire career. Um, but you're used to seeing that from him. You're 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 less used to to seeing him uh, finishing things off uh, in that fashion. But he's another player who has is, who is benefited from Antonio Conte's arrival. You know, whenever we talk about Spurs and attacking sense, you obviously focus on Harry Kane, Son Heung-min. We knew or we suspected strongly that the wing-backs would end up becoming a, a, an important part of, of the way that, that Spurs approach games and, and that's been borne out. But actually Lucas, as, as sort of the third man in that attack, has, has, been, um, has been really key. And he, he's a very streaky player, you know, he'll go sort of four, five, six, seven games without doing anything. But when he's on his game, as he was uh, against Palace, he's absolutely electrifying. I think it's the wing back area where he might get reinforcements in January. That's my hunch. I think the way that he wants to play, I think he could do with a bit more competition there. Yeah, Emerson Royale is not, he's a new signing, but he's not really kicked on it. He's he's really frustrating, and he should be. You feel like he's got the tools to be far better than he, or far more effective than he is. He was actually pretty good against Palace, but it sounds like Mac Doherty is is surplus to requirements, and that as Lindsay says, Conte might want another right wing back. As regards that top four race, then Spurs looking pretty good. Uh, they've now moved clear of West Ham, who are in sixth place, and I think have got lots of other concerns beyond potential top four finishes after their 2-3 defeat at home to Southampton. That's, as I mentioned earlier, four defeats in the last five for the Hammers. And once again, uh, it's not unconnected with the number of absentees that they have at the back. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think West Ham have obviously got um, personnel problems in terms of the players who are out. Um, Angelo Agbonna, Kurt Zuma, Aaron Cresswell, which is practically an entire defence. Uh, and I think their their absence has clearly been felt. But Mikel Antonio made an interesting point when he spoke about mental fatigue um, as being a factor. Uh, and obviously, as we know, West Ham... Uh, are involved in multiple competitions and have been doing very well in all of those competitions. But are are all those games taking their toll a little bit? And, and something I wonder about about West Ham as well is that they're a great counter punching team. They're a brilliant counter attacking team, and and they've reserved almost all their best performances for games against the big guns this season. You think about those two three two wins at home to Liverpool, and then more recently yeah. at home to Chelsea. I wonder whether just their whole sort of setup is 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 less well suited to to, to tackling the the lesser lights of of the division, if you like. But it was interesting to hear Antonio talk about mental fatigue um, as if as if that sort of very impressive first half of the season, coupled, I'm sure, with all the injuries, um, is is perhaps starting to catch up with them. Mm. Well, Saints, though, that's only the third win in their last 21 games on the road. Mm. Yeah, three yeah. goals, three shots on target. Efficient. Yeah, and they are a baffling team. They really are. Just when you think you've got them <laughs> kind of nailed, they go on these weird runs in which, as you say, they've, they've only beaten Watford and Sheffield United away from home in the Premier League in 2021 an absolutely rotten run and then they go and suddenly look like this brilliant (laughs) efficient attacking team which is it should be said with Adam Armstrong in the team is exactly what they haven't been because he's taken a huge number of shots without scoring so yeah having Armando Breuer in the team I I think they look better with him in there as a kind of target man 
focal point centre forward. I just think if, if you're not good at taking your chances, if your striker isn't good at taking his chances, which neither Che Adams and, and Adam Armstrong have been this season, you need a presence up there to bring other people into play. They do look better with Breuer, but my word, do they need to wrap up James Ward-Prowse in cotton wool? I'd be putting everything possible around around James Ward-Prowse to stop him getting injured because if he goes out of this team, they are in they are in deep trouble. I mean, he his delivery from set pieces for this led to the obviously the winning goal, but his calmness as well for the penalty. He's clearly that leader they need as well out there on the pitch. And I just think if anything happens to him in the next few months, then then Hasenhutl might have a, a real issue on his hands. Hopefully better times for West Ham. Uh, midweek, they are due to be playing a Watford team who haven't had any action for absolutely ages. Three matches postponed, the Hornets, due to COVID cases. All right, uh, let's next up then wrap it up with a look ahead to what awaits us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will give some cheer to all you Hammers fans when David Moyes signs Maran Fellaini to help with West Ham's latest injury crisis. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply. And please, gamble responsibly. Ooh, listener, from now until New Year's Eve... So Friday, you can sign up for an annual subscription to The Athletic and get 60% off. Boom. £24 for 12 months. That's £2 a month for a year. Sounds like a deal, doesn't it? Get two. Brilliant. Uh, Coming up over the next few days in the Premier League, well, Monday night, it's Newcastle Man United, which kind of belongs to the Boxing Day fixtures, but by now, etc. Then on Tuesday, you've got two games called off already. As Lindsay was mentioning, Arsenal against Wolves. Leeds Villa as well. The matches set to take place currently uh, include uh, Crystal Palace against Norwich at 3 o'clock on Tuesday. It's been over 25 years since the Canaries beat the Eagles at Selhurst Park. Number one at the time, Tom? Um, I think it was Fast Love by George Michael, James. <laughs> oh, well, I think you answered that a little too quickly for my liking, <laughs> Tom Williams. <laughs> Uh, shall I romp through the rest of the, the fixtures and you can say which ones you're most excited by? You've got Saints against Spurs. You may recall that fixture last season. 5-2 it finished. Sun, Sunny scored four goals. And uh, Kane set up all of them as well as scoring another himself. So it could be a lot of web slinging going on down at St Mary's. 
Uh, Watford against West Ham, that's on Tuesday. Daniel, you're heading off to Leicester-Liverpool. Yes, fingers crossed. sample the excellent atmosphere at the King Power. Uh, Wednesday, Chelsea is scheduled to be playing Brighton and Brentford against Man City. Yikes. All right, then. Uh, that Spurs Spider-Man thing, that, is that all because Tom Holland said that he, he revealed that he's a Spurs fan so now, and he did an interview with Son and... Or is it one of those marketing tie-ins like the time that Man United did a special themed, was it Independence Day goal celebration? <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. That's a low moment. I'm going to mm. give Spurs the benefit of probably not much doubt and say that it wasn't a, an official tie-in, I hope. Um, right. But I did enjoy, I think it was Davinson Sanchez's face at the back of the celebration, which was classic sort of forced fun at an office Christmas party photo face which is superb he, to be fair if you if you scroll on from that freeze frame he does get into it after i'm choosing I think he was just focusing on which fingers to to position in, in which in which place uh, but anyway all right well daniel as i say you're heading to leicester liverpool for a rematch of that extraordinary carabao cup quarter final 3-3 that finished after leicester were 3-1 up leicester by the way are all the way down in 10th place now and they'll be taking on a very rested liverpool side yeah, I mean, clearly, as with every game at the moment, COVID dependent, but also Liverpool players dependent, and we're not quite sure what which players will be available for Liverpool. You assume that Jurgen Klopp would like to get the most out of uh, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane as he can before uh, Afcon. But to to kind of segue into that slightly, it, it now sounds as if players are going to be allowed to delay going to Afcon by four or five days. There was a theory that this might be the last game for, for Salah and Mane, but it now appears that, that CAF has probably in their in their wisdom, I think, has allowed players to leave as late as January the 3rd for, for the tournament, which just buys them a little bit more goodwill because to kind of repeat what I said at the top of the show, there is a fear within CAF that high-profile players may decide to, to not go to that tournament in the current climate. Mm, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, that should be a cracker. What What else uh, do you think is going to be particularly worth tuning in for uh, this midweek? Lindsay, what are you up to? Well, I'm at Brentford, Man City. Um, are but you? The game that kicks off a bit earlier than that is Chelsea Brighton. And I think that's really of interest because if Lukaku starts in that game and if he can kick on, we might see the start of a charge from Chelsea to try and play catch up with the likes of Liverpool because at the moment, I think Arsenal will fancy themselves to to nip third as it stands. So, yeah, Chelsea really? against Brighton. Yeah, I think I think given the score lines that they've had and the consistency they've shown, yeah, they, they won't just be talking about a top four finish at the minute. I think they might even be talking about top three. So Chelsea need to to do something about that. And I think Brighton will be good opposition for them. A couple of really good goals that we saw in the game against Brentford from them. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm quite looking forward to hearing how that goes. And and Brentford City, I'm just I'm just wondering how many hands I need to look at for counting up the numbers right, of goals. The goals, yeah. yeah. Take your shoes off as well. Yeah. <laughs> Honourable mention for the um, haven't you got the manager that we should have derby between Everton and Newcastle on Thursday night as well. Um, <laughs> I think if both clubs had their time again, then Everton would probably think that Eddie Howe might do a better job for what they want than Rafa Benitez. And I think Newcastle fans would probably be very happy to have Rafa Benitez as their manager. So that's a kind of interesting political game, I suppose. Uh, interesting. 
Uh, yeah, it was. A, you mentioned the, the Brighton goals. The Trossard. How would you describe that? It wasn't a, a chip. It was kind of like volleyed chip, or it was like a, a volleyed, volleyed, volleyed lob. Volleyed lob, I would say. Good time. A lobby. You speak football. Yeah. There was a bit of scoop volley. Scoop volley going on. Scoop volley. Yeah. That sounds like playground talk to me. Mm. <laughs> and the, se- the second Brighton goal was a really nice goal as well. Neil Neil Mopay bending one in top mm. right. And I think given Brighton's well-documented XG uh, problems, I think when, when Neil Mopay is, is, is fit and, and firing, I think that's, that's very helpful. But yeah, just to pick up on, on what Lindsay was saying, I think this is a, a, a really crucial part of the season for Chelsea. Um, who've got uh, a game against Liverpool at the weekend, um, who've got these injuries starting to bite, who who lose Edouard Mendy, their, their goalkeeper, to uh, Senegal's campaign in, in the African Cup of Nations, and, and coming up against a Brighton team who have, have who've stopped the rot after, what was it, 11 games without a win or something, without a win mm. over Brentford. So I, I think this is... This is this is a, a pivotal pivotal moment in uh, in Chelsea's title challenge, uh, and it could be the case that that Romelu Lukaku has has come back to fitness and back into the team at just the right time. Yeah, indeed. So, what about Watford West Ham on Tuesday afternoon? How is it going to be for Watford, who haven't picked up a point since November, largely because they haven't really played a game? I don't think since November, more or less. The last three matches postponed due to COVID cases. They had lost four straight before that though uh, but that game is apparently set to go ahead yeah I, I got last time I talked about Watford on here I got told off by Watford supporters for suggesting that Claudio Ranieri should be a little bit fearful <laughs> given Watford's tendency to have at least three managers every season they fans say they they are really happy with Ranieri that isn't always that doesn't always matter at Watford, obviously, if, if the club decide, the club decide. But yeah, it feels a massive game for Watford, this. Because if you come back, having had that time, not time off, because obviously it's COVID suspensions, but if you come back and then lose by two or three to West Ham at home, everything does begin to feel a little bit forlorn. It matters more in terms of performance, though, than result. I don't think they go into this game against West Ham, who now will have a bit more of a point to prove having been defeated by Southampton. I don't think it's necessarily result-based on this one, but I think it's performance-based that they they need to see something there. And yeah, and just to sort of follow on from that, I think uh, an unfortunate element of those postponements for Watford was that they were all... They all look like potentially winnable games away at Burnley, home to Crystal Palace, away at Wolves, perhaps a little bit less winnable looking given Wolves' yeah, recent less, form. But, but yes. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but and, you know, Watford had come through a, a, a trickier uh, period fixture wise prior to that. You know, they played Chelsea, they played City, and would probably have had that run of games earmarked as, right, this is the moment when all the, the pieces of the Claudio Ranieri puzzle are going to fall into place. So, um, yeah, I think that. That that need to get points on the board is now is now even greater for having you know having spent the last three three game weeks just sitting on their hands basically. Mm. Two points above the drop zone at the moment, but of course the table a bit hard to read given the extraordinary imbalance in the number of fixtures played. Crikey! Well, all that action coming up. Plus, as Daniel was mentioning. Exciting fixtures on Thursday as well uh, as we head towards the new year. Uh, that wraps it up, I think, for this uh, Totally Football show. Unless there's anything else anybody wants to pitch in. 
kickoff times are a bit confusing, aren't they? Three o'clock mm. games on Tuesday. Is this is this what time the games always kick off? Have I just forgotten the the sort of? Well, I think Tuesday's a holiday, no? Because day, ah, that's what it is. It's just what, because yeah. of how Christmas that's has fallen this year. Yeah. yeah, I can see a lot of football fans being very confused on Tuesday afternoon at the realization that there are three mm. games, COVID pending, all kicking off at just the same time. Confused anyway. I'm sort of annoyed yeah. that. There are three at three o'clock and not one at five thirty. If you're going to have it as a effectively as a weekend day in terms of fixtures, why have we got three kick off at the same time at all? That then leads to people screaming at me about fans attending matches. No, absolutely. And and is there not a case that much as the railway system is just better under a central government, uh, you know, you can't leave kind of something like public transport to be organised by on the basis of profit motives equally the fixture schedule should be decided by a national committee perhaps composed of us i don't know uh, rather than left to the broadcaster's whims because yeah that would be what i'm it. saying is i think you could have watford west ham at 5:30 and i would watch it which is you probably not how they've decided it no indeed not all right uh well that brings us to the end of today's totally football show there's one more of these before the end of this year and it's coming up on Thursday so perhaps you'll join us for that listener uh, for now it's many many thanks to Daniel Surridge Tom Williams and to Lindsay Hooper and to producer Charlie and yes you listener who's getting to that hope you all have a sensational week and uh, catch up with you soon and for anyone who's not going to be here on Thursday have a happy new year from everyone at Totally You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.